And as we uh, move into our experience of the word, uh, we are still in following under the theme of life from behind closed doors. And today's scripture takes us behind closed doors on the ark with Noah and his family and the community of creation that they have gathered there. And so I'm going to invite Jim to come and begin our scripture reading. Good morning, everybody. So today's readings come from Genesis, book of Genesis, chapter 7, verse 24, through uh, chapter 8, verse 12. And the water swelled on the earth for 150 days. But, but, but God remembered Noah and all the wild animals and all the domestic animals that were with him in the ark. And God made a wind blow over the earth, and the waters subsided. The fountains of the deep and the windows of the heavens were closed. The rain from heaven was restrained. And the waters gradually receded from the earth. At the end of 150 days, the water had abated, and in the seventh month, on the 17th day of the month, the ark came to rest on the mountains of Ararat. The waters continued to abate until the 10th month. In the 10th month, on the first day of the month, the tops of the mountains appeared. At the end of 40 days, Noah opened the window of the ark he had built and sent out the raven, and it went to and fro until the waters were dried up from the earth. Then he sent out the dove from him to see if the water had subsided from the face of the ground. But the dove found no place to set its foot and it returned to him to the ark for the waters were still on the face of the whole earth. So he put out his hand and he took and brought it into the ark with him. He waited another seven days, and again he set out the dove from the ark, and the dove came back to him in the evening. And there in a speak was a freshly plucked olive leaf. So no one knew that the waters had subsided from the earth. Then he waited another seven days and sent out the dove, and it did not return to him anymore. Then God said to Noah, go out of the ark, you and your wife and your sons and your sons' wives with you. Bring out with you every living thing that is with you of all flesh, birds and animals and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth so that they may abound on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. So Noah went out with his sons and his wife and his sons' wives and every animal, every creeping thing, and every bird, everything that moves on the earth went out of the ark by families. Then Noah built an altar to God and took of every clean animal and every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And when God smelled the pleasing odor, God said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of humankind, for the inclination of the human heart is evil from youth nor will I ever again destroy every living creature as I have done. As long as the earth endures, 
seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. We celebrate the written word of scripture. Thanks be to God. We celebrate the living word, Christ among us. Thanks be to God. Stories of epic floods are as old as stories themselves. In one Aboriginal flood story, a giant frog with an unquenchable thirst wakes up one morning and he drinks all of the water from the land. The animals and the plants are dying and so a small group comes up with a plan. They decide that they have to make Titalik the frog laugh. As one variation of this tale ends, an eel wriggled and shivered and folded himself into funny shapes and Titalik couldn't hold back any longer. The frog started a low laugh that sounded like distant thunder. And when he opened his mouth, the water came pouring out, flooding the land. The flood gradually subsided and the land was verdant and peaceful again. Not all versions of that particular story have such a happy ending. In some, the flood causes as much destruction as the drought. Many of the flood stories, uh, including the one in Genesis, are troubling. They tell of angry gods and mass destruction. They are scary stories, and yet we pass them on from generation to generation. The stories persist because people will always try to make sense of and to make meaning out of chaos and destruction. The stories persist because we long to be a part of a shared history. There's actually a theory that stories persist because they keep us alive, that they have an evolutionary function. So I read in The Atlantic that if you tell a story about how to survive, you're more likely to actually survive than if you just give the facts. For instance, if I were to say, there's an animal near that tree, so don't go over there, it would not be as effective as if I were to tell you my cousin was eaten by a malicious, scary creature that looks around that tree, so don't go over there. Our faith is built on sacred story and our participation in this story. So imagine for a minute uh, being stuck on a boat with all of your family. Uh, imagine some of you are thinking about this in a different way than I am because I live alone right now. Um, but imagine for a minute, you're on a boat on dry land, mind you, with all of your family and all of the animals. The noise, the movement, the smell. I kind of imagine something like the Texas State Fair on a sweltering September day. Uh, it's just a lot to take in. So imagine being on this ark and knowing you're likely to be there for a while. You might instinctually find a place to hunker down. You might feel the urge to flee. And then in the words of scripture, you are shut in. Shut in. And outside the fountains of the great deep burst forth and the windows of the heavens open. At first, the sound of rain is soothing like a white noise. There is something cozy about being inside with your people as a steady rain washes over the earth. But it keeps raining. 
it rains and it rains and it rains and the waters swell, they swell so high that even the mountains strong and stable are consumed. You can hardly stand being shut in at this point. You look out in awe and despair. Can we survive this? The days feel endless, but somehow the weeks fly by until one day the rain stops. The wind settles, the ark comes to rest. The waters begin to subside, a glimmer of hope. And an aching to set foot on dry land. The storm is over, the sun is shining, but Noah and his family are still stuck on the boat. They're in this strange place between total destruction and new life. This space, this space of just being stuck on the boat is saturated with feelings. Relief, residual fear, anger, grief, longing, love, and hope. This space, there's a stillness that feels both delightfully restful and frustratingly static. I imagine that this space for Noah and his family of sending the dove out and it returning and waiting and sending it out and it returns and they wait, this is a tough place to be, waiting and watching. A Jewish rabbi once told me that she thought one of the differences between Christianity and Judaism is that Christians tend to focus on healing while Judaism emphasizes coping. So it was with that lens that I keep coming back to this text and wondering, how do we cope? How do we cope when the life that we've known is gone, but we can't yet see or experience this new life that awaits us? How do we cope? The scripture doesn't tell us what Noah and his family did while they were stuck on the boat. It does say that they were faithful and righteous people. So my guess is that they spent a lot of time and energy meeting the basic needs of the people on board, of the creatures on board, ensuring that all of the animals and people were safe and cared for. And I bet because Noah and his family are faithful and righteous people, I bet they spent a lot of time in worship, reading scripture, praying, growing closer in their relationship with God and with one another. So how do we cope in times like these, in the weird in-between times? We take care of our most basic needs and also we worship. So I have to confess uh, that there is a great deal of irony um, that I'm on this Zoom call today feeling so convicted to remind us of the power and the importance of worship. I am sure today that God has a sense of, a sense of humor 
Uh, so on Friday, May 1st, a little more than a week ago, Scott called and he asked if I would preach. Uh, I study and teach worship and preaching, and for weeks I have been watching and analyzing different kinds of online services, and I said yes immediately because I knew that it was time to like get my skin in the game here. So on Sunday, a week ago, after I had agreed to preach, I was watching online worship, and I just hit a breaking point. You know, I, I miss being able to go to church, like an actual building with flesh and bone people. I miss it so much. And last week I was sad and angry. Um, I posted an inflammatory comment on social media. I said, online worship is terrible and we should probably just stop. It got a lot of responses and I spent the next several days writing and thinking and talking about how the service of the Lord's Day is just not suited for online platforms. I interviewed for podcasts. I wrote an article. I went to people's classes. Um, I, I, I said online worship is kind of like frozen yogurt when what you really are craving is ice cream. So I'm working through all of these feelings that I have and all of these theological thoughts at the same time that I'm preparing for today's service. Uh, I had quickly landed on this text from Genesis. And by Tuesday this week, the question, how do we cope? It had settled deep in my soul. The end of the week comes and I have this question with no answer. I have a host of problems with online worship and I have no solutions. I'm regretting this commitment. And then I have a revelation, like a spiritual two by four to the head. I know that the end of this sermon is about worship, that the way that we cope, the answer to this question, how do we cope in these hard times? How do we cope in impossible times? We worship. I still have a lot of questions about how we worship during this life behind closed doors. But I cannot deny that worship is fundamental to the life of faith. In worship, the story of God comes alive and it comes alive in us. In worship, we become a part of the narrative. In worship, we actively remember who we are and to whom we belong. Friends, in worship today, we remember that we are ark builders. We have agency and we are equipped to create these safe spaces of community. In worship today, we remember we are survivors, that we can do hard things, that we have done hard things, that we can endure hard things. And most importantly, in worship, we remember that we are beloved children of God. God remembered Noah, and God remembers us. This is why we worship. God remembers us, and we praise God. We thank God. We confess our sins. We receive grace and pardon. We share in God's word. And we pray, we pray, and we pray.